Hello, it's Denise from Women Beyond a Certain Age. We are so lucky to have our guest today. It's our dear friend, Julie Tran Diley. And Julie is a food photographer and a blogger, a former software engineer who now turned that her blog into her business. She's an influencer. Let me put it this way. She's a lot of power in a little tiny package. Um, we met Julie when we were teaching a private corporate food styling class. And then she came to visit us. So we did part one. And we want you to know that what you're going to be listening today is part two. We recorded part one last December. And as we were getting ready to play it now, we realized it was about being your own health advocate, which Julie is, I think women of all ages need to listen to this because we, we already know it. Women put themselves last, usually in a family situation. In my house, my husband goes to the doctor three times as much as I do, okay? Just different things. I'm learning from him to be a better health advocate for myself. And I, I'm learning from Julie and luckily, so Julie's back today, part two, to talk about, here we are being a health advocate in a pandemic. Hello, Miss Julie. Hi, Denise. Hi, Cindy. Thank you for having me back. I'm excited. When I got to listen, it had been several months, to what you spoke about last December, it's, it, it's, time, it's timely and it's also timeless information. It's perfect. Okay, so I want you to just dive in and talk a little about what's going on right now and what else we need to tell women. Oh gosh, what's going on? So we have been staying home mostly. One of the biggest things is I can't believe how much, I don't even want to say this, how much money we're saving not going out and eating out at a I restaurant. Know. But I feel so much for restaurant workers and we're trying to do as much takeout as we can. And hopefully soon we can go back to eating at a restaurant. I have a compromised immune system. That's what I learned from the whole tuberculosis episode in 2016 that I had. So I have to be really careful. And my husband has asthma. And so we both are just like, okay, we're just chilling. I'm so grateful that he can work from home. But it's been very interesting because I'm used to working from home. And both of us working from home is a different situation. We are sending each other texts when we get on phone calls. Hey, I'm getting on a call. Don't come knocking on the door, you know, or just don't walk in and start talking. Well, you're sharing your space all of a sudden. Yes. And, and, yes. You know, I know, Julie, for me, when my husband went off to work all those years, it was only about 30 of them. I enjoyed my own time. <laughs> and now we are the same thing. We're home together all the time. Yes. It's a learning experience. Yes. I remember the first couple of weeks I was getting a little annoyed with him and I was just like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold this in. I'm going to hold this in. And I told a couple of my friends, I'm in a group message with a couple of friends. And then two weeks after that, I could tell that I was annoying him. And I text them. I said, my, how the tables have turned. Now I'm annoying him. And I, you know, we talked about that and he was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, and it's like, it's so funny how he wasn't perceptive on that at all. I, I could <laughs> see it. I could see it. I'm like, oh, whatever I just said just annoyed him. You know, the other yes. thing, another update is I decided because I had been wanting to get an, a spinning bike for years. So I bought a spinning bike. When was it? When I think it was in May. It arrived and I decided I'm going to be because I'm 
I'm like literally the all or nothing girl, like, like go big or go home. You, I mean, you know me, I'm, I'm just like, I got to do 150% or I'm not doing it at all. So I decided I'm going to try to ride the bike for 90 days straight. I'm just, I don't know, 60 or 90 days. Let's just do this. And I did 18 days straight. And then I, I took a day off and I couldn't believe how, um, it's like, I hadn't worked out in seven years, you guys. So so it was a little extreme. It was a little extreme. It was a okay. little crazy. I was going every, every ride I did, I was going faster and I was trying to like beat my last numbers from the time before. And I realized that day that I took off, when I got on the bike again, I felt much better. So it was like, you got to take breaks. You have to take breaks. I mean, in life and anything you do, you have to take breaks. So I probably did, I don't know, 23 or 24 days where I only took like one break. A couple of years ago, my GI doctor told me I needed to get my gallbladder out. Um, one of the first questions he asked when I was telling him about this pain that I had was, is there gallbladder disease in your family? And I just happened to talk to my mom and my mom said two of my aunts, two of her sisters had to get their gallbladder out before they turned 40. So this was a couple of years ago when I was 38 and the surgeon disagreed even though I had like my gallbladder was full of stones, he disagreed with the doctor. He was like, I don't think we should cut it out. I think, you know, come back to me when you're in pain again. That's what he said to me. Oh, and God. then I, I haven't had pain since then. Right. And all of a sudden I was in this excruciating amount of pain after working out for like 23, 24 days. And I hadn't worked out in like seven years. I could feel my body changing. I could feel my metabolism speeding up. I could feel the muscles, I building muscles again in my legs. And I, I definitely felt my body changing. And I was Googling and I, I also had all these other symptoms I didn't have a couple of years ago. The bottoms of my feet and my palms on my hands were itchy, like itchy, uncontrollable itchy. I couldn't sleep. It was just crazy symptoms like that. And I talked to my GI doctor and also did some Googling. Um, and basically when you do a lot of exercise and if you lose a bunch of weight and you have gallstones and you have gallbladder disease, it can affect it. Because the stones want to get out. Yes. That's what the pain is. Yes. They want to get out, Julie. They thought they were making a run for it yes. while you were on the bike. Yes. I was in, I was just like, this is not fun. And my doctor kept telling me, you need to stop eating fat. Cause I remember when we talked about this in December, he was like, you need to eat virtually no fat. Like you need no olive oil in your diet. And I was like, what? I was like, I don't, I don't, what? I told him I ate Cheetos yesterday. What am I going to do about that? And he was like, stop eating Cheetos. And I was like, uh, doctor, cause he was actually complaining to me about how all he does is snack and eat now because we're all staying at home. And I was like, what do you think I'm doing? You know? Um, so I, I shouldn't admit to this, but I didn't listen to that, cut all the fat out because I didn't do it two years ago and I was fine. But yeah. he did say one thing to me was that it, it's definitely something that does need to come out and I don't want it to turn into an emergency situation that I want to schedule it. Um, and I don't know if Denise, when you had your gallbladder taken out, if it was an emergency situation. So he said, when things calm down in the hospital situation is a little bit better, then go ahead and see the surgeon and schedule it. So we'll see when I get, take, get it taken out. Um, Sweetheart, this is, <laughs> I would be frightened to go to the oh, hospital yes. now. Not to mention what if they, 
you know, I mean, you, you're going to talk about that a little bit. You've been isolated when you mm -hmm. had tuberculosis. So, you know, it's a very frightening thing when you can't, the people that are closest to you can't be with you. Yes. You know, there isn't someone there helping you get through this. Now, let me tell you about my gallbladder, just quick down and dirty. I definitely want to hear about it. One night I have had a salad with a little blue cheese dressing, not much. I was real, I was thin. Julia was tiny and thin. I worked 70 hours a week. I was an executive chef and I had a cold beer and I went to bed. I had a roommate, we, owned, we lived in an apartment. I went to sleep and she awakened me because I was moaning so loud in my sleep. Oh my she gosh. said, what the hell's the matter with you? Well, I thought I was, all of a sudden when I was awake, I thought my kidneys were failing. I really didn't know, to be perfectly honest, I didn't know what my gallbladder was, yeah. okay, or where it was. So if I said, I was probably 36 or 37. So I had great health insurance. So we can, you know, great health insurance. And I went, she took me to the emergency ward. Do you know how many gunshot wounds oh are in Kaiser on Saturday night? So they were not worried about me because they kept coming out to ask me questions. And I said, I was having these horrible pains. They've kind of died down now, but it's back here. And then finally someone said to me, oh, honey, we probably, it's your gallbladder. And Julia was 36, 37, 38. I thought, my gallbladder. You know, this is some old people get gallbladder disease, not young women, <laughs> not young vibrant women. Well, to make long story short, they did an ultra scan. Sure enough, I had two of the two or three of the largest gallstones they'd ever seen. I mean, in recorded history. <laughs> and in those days, at Cedar sinai they said, you know, we have this new thing. We're going to blow them up like they did with the kidney, kidney stones. stones. So they, oh. they planned it and they put me on, had to stay in the hospital for a night, but they put me on a, you know, a laser platform or whatever. And they blew up my gallstones. And then you pass them through your urine and it looked like pieces of shale. Oh. And of course, the rocks are made out of cholesterol so i'm thinking and i don't you know i'm thinking and people say oh you eat too much fried food i never eat fried food I mean, people had all these comments for me so then i did some research and i found out that in that age group women that had been on birth control pills for 20 years had more gallbladder i didn't my gallbladder wasn't diseased at that time yet i just had gigantic stones and as i said when the stones try to get through the duct. They're bile stones trying to get through the that's duct. That's when I have the you, pain is they're trying they, to squeeze like through a canal that's not big enough. Yeah. See, you're being, you're like, it's like you're being strangled by a rattlesnake. Okay. Yeah. So my gallstones were gone. So they checked and I thought, oh, how wonderful. I didn't have to remove my gallbladder. And then sure enough, same exact thing. I had a salad with some dressing in the beer. Oh. You know, I think I'd learned. But you fast forward, I was 50. And all of a sudden, I had this enormous pain. By this time, I'm married to Kenny. And I said to him, oh, my God. The only time I had pain like this before was my gallbladder. And sure enough, now he takes me, this is my husband who gets excited to go to the dentist, takes me directly down to Cedar sinai They give me the same thing, an ultrasound. They said, oh yeah, you've got gigantic gallstones again. So 13 years had passed and they reinvented themselves. <laughs> and, but this time my gallbladder is not looking so good. My gallbladder is diseased. Mm. 
Well, I got to a surgeon, honey, and they took me at St. John's. They made an incision just so people know. It was uh, gallbladder used to, they had to open you up in the old days. On my fat little belly, honey, I have about an inch incision. That's it. And what beautiful young, he was so gorgeous, beautiful young Japanese um, surgeon, really young. And he would make fun of me. I'd say things like, you're not selling my gallbladder on the black market. After <laughs> of course. And he'd say, he'd say, honey, I can't get a dollar for that gallbladder. And I said, how come? Now he said, there'll be a little star here. I said, why so small? He said, ah, that thing's such a mess. I'm just going to go in there with some clamps and pull it out. He says, I can. So one day. I got in the morning. They did not keep me overnight, Julie, which the only reason I found out, I wish they had because I sometimes have a reaction and a lot of people do, and this is what, to the anesthesia. So if you've never had anesthesia, people are listening, you kind of need to find if you can. So I, when I got home, the gallbladder wasn't bothering me. And Cindy actually, I think had already started to work for us because remember Cindy, I was back in the office like three days later. Okay, she had oh, just started. Awesome. So I, the recovery is so different. I've never had the problem, obviously, since. And, and you can um, eat whatever you want now. I eat, oh, please, Julie, you know me, I eat whatever I want. Uh -huh. But no gallbladder, so no gallbladder disease. Yes. Now, my cholesterol has not gone up. Okay. So, but it is, but there is a direct link to gallbladder disease in women and birth control pills, mm. okay? And I don't want to mis-explain it, but it's kind of like the birth control pills made the cholesterol and stuff become the bile gallstones, okay, and form that way. So they were enablers for the gallstones. <laughs> gallstone. But never look back. It was not a difficult procedure. And this is something, though, that amazes me. I was not kept overnight, but at St. John's, which is a wonderful hospital and of anesthesiologist and my brilliant surgeon. But you know, that was $14,000 for the day. That was now 15 years ago. So one of the, you know, I mean, talk about a health advocate. If you don't have good insurance, yeah. now oh we gosh. didn't, I had, we had fattest insurance. I, I don't think we paid for any of it. Do you know what I mean? I remember, but I remember opening that bill thinking, what happens to you if you don't have good insurance? I, it's, it's scary because I feel like us who do have insurance are privileged and we don't realize, I mean, I know we oh. realize it to a certain extent, but have no idea because when I stayed in the hospital for my tuberculosis, it was four nights and it was $39,000. Oh, my, of course it and was. And I was like, yeah. And then every doctor that sees you yes. sends you a bill. That's and when right. I had my x-rays and the lab work and all that stuff, I got separate bills for all of that stuff. And I am being who I am and being the nerd that I am, I like was getting overwhelmed with the bills and they were resending the same bills and I was confused. And I kept calling the insurance and saying, when is the bill for the hospital? Like I called the hospital. It was really funny because I called the hospital and I said, I'd like an itemized bill, please. And they were like, uh, <laughs> what? And their itemized bill had like five lines on it. I mean, you should have, I mean, I think I still have it in my email somewhere. It was ridiculous. And then the total was like 39,000. And they said that usually what happens is the insurance company negotiates with yes. the hospital yes. for a yes. lower rate. And I think they negotiated down to like 20 something or 19,000. And what happened was what, before we met our deductible, all those doctor bills came in, those kind of came in before the hospital bill was 
negotiated. So we probably paid about $1,200, gotcha. which is amazing I compared know. to everything on top of all that on top of all the doctor visits i had after that too thank goodness you had the twelve hundred dollars yeah yeah you know what i mean and one of the reasons i think it exactly what we're saying about women if women are in charge of the budgets lots of time that they are in their homes and they don't have good insurance or they go to a doctor and they know even with good insurance it's going to be another hundred or two hundred dollars they make decisions and they sacrifice they things decisions. right yeah that's right they sacrifice i have medicare now and I have to tell you, it's crazy. I mean, it's wonderful. It's crazy because I now have insurance. We had one of the best, Blue Cross or whatever it was, full, full insurance from Kenny's job. And then I paid for my own through my business when I, when he, I couldn't get it through his business. But now they pay for chiropractic, Medicare. They're paying for some of my glasses and eyeglasses if you don't have insurance. So it's a very interesting thing. And I'm so grateful. Yes. So people, again, and people I think are, have misconceptions. And you are right, Julie, because that's what Kenny did in his law practice. They're negotiating. They charge us. We see these enormous bills. But in reality, they negotiate them down. And when you, when you don't have health insurance, you have nobody to negotiate for you. No one. No one to help you. It's frightening. When I was going down they were starting to put me under a form the gallbladder and we'd already met the anesthesiologist this was a top crew in santa monica i mean it doesn't get any better these guys were but my husband's standing there the nurse keeps saying you can leave now and he's saying things like you know i've done a lot of personal injury law work in my career and i, I love kenny and i'm thinking to him, please back off please back off before they kill me so that you know well, from my, kill me from being nervous that you're that you're saying such terrible things to these talented people. Uh, he was, you know, it's funny because I think I'm Kenny because I will be the one who's like, hey, are you making sure you're doing this, this, and this? And Curtis is like, can you please stop asking them questions? And I told him after my hospital stay, after I told you guys about in the last episode, that basically... There were times where they missed giving me my dose at the right time. And I thought I was getting sick. And when you have a really high fever and you're really sick and you have a really bad infection, you start getting delirious and you, I, I really, I was like, I think I'm dying now. I think, I think I'm getting worse. Is this getting worse? You know? And I told him after that hospital stay, and I've told him in the last couple of years, I'm like, if I ever remember the hospital, you need to go in there and you need to cause some shit and you need to say stuff and you're going to need a little notebook. And you need to keep track of when my doses are, blah, blah, blah. And because I wasn't thinking of that at the time. And I didn't, I mean, I had a little notebook that I would write notes in about whatever I was thinking about. And I, you know, got him to bring my phone charger so that I could text people on my phone. But you're, you're not thinking right where you say, okay, well, I'm supposed to have Tylenol at this time. I'm supposed to have this medicine. I'm supposed to have this medicine. And, you know, I, I kind of reminded him, he forgot about this. When I got admitted to the hospital, they told me that, hey, we really want to give you blood thinners. Um, it's a shot in your stomach. It's going to not look really pretty after we give you the shot. But here, sign this paper to get yeah, this, to get this shot. And now it's really crazy because now it's a protocol for COVID-19 treating patients because of the possible and complications that people are having with blood clots and, and possible yes. pulmonary embolisms. And so they're getting blood thinners. And I, I feel like there's so many parallels 
with COVID, the COVID-19 pandemic and my experience with tuberculosis, um, I told you guys before that I was in a negative pressure room, which is an isolation room. I actually don't know how many rooms different hospitals have of these. They don't have very many of them. And um, when the doctors and nurses entered my room, they had to put on PPE. And I got into a rhythm with my nurses to call the nurse's station before I knew when they were gonna come in with my medication and say, oh, can I get cranberry juice and water and ice water and all these Art. different things and list out what I needed. Because what happens when, what started happening was they would come into the room and they'd have all their PPE on and they'd be like, okay, here's your medicine. I'd say, okay, I need this, this, this. And they're like, <sighs> they had to take it all off, wash their hands, go grab it, come back, wash their hands again, put everything back on and come into the room. There was a small room outside of my hospital room. I wasn't allowed to leave my hospital room. So when they were talking about PPE in the news and everything and talking about negative pressure rooms, I was like, oh my gosh, this feels like deja vu. The only thing that's really scary to me, that's even scary on another level, is that Curtis was actually able to stay with me in the hospital room. He just, they made him wear a mask. They said he had to wear a mask the whole time he was there. I'm surprised they didn't make him put PPE on. They were just like, whatever to your, you know, I guess yeah. because they were going to see other patients and they didn't want to take I get it. my stuff out with them. Yes. And so yeah. basically, um, yeah, so he would sit in the hospital room with me for like eight hours a day and you can't, it, COVID-19 is so contagious. Family members are not allowed to visit their their sick family members and their friends. And a lot of people are dying alone. And we talk about being your own advocate and saying that, you know, if not, then you need to have um, a family member that can be a health advocate for you. But that's really hard when someone can't physically be there. They can't stand in front of the nurse and doctor and say, did you do this? Does he need this? Yes. What about this? Because I am that person. It's so scary to me. And it's so sad and heartbreaking that people are dying alone. I know. I do think one of the points though you make with your notebook, Julian, even if the person's not in the room. I, th I see Kenny and I've talked about this. Kenny had to have a little surgery in March. He's fine. It was perfectly oh, fine. Good. I'm glad he's fine. And, but we had, went to St. John's. It was right, actually it was in February. I'm so grateful it was before COVID-19. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Otherwise, yeah. but before he went, we did an organizational thing. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I always suggest this to people. You talk about, all. Oh, you don't want to wait until you're in a crisis. I made him for the first time, we put all, where he literally wrote down where all the money is. I mean, I know different brokers and different accounts, but I never have it in one spot. Do you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Because he handles it. Now, for a woman who knew every nickel of her business, when we when I retired, I let I've just become gender biased. I want him to do all that <laughs> stuff. I like think, oh, you handle it. Mm -hmm. But with that said, I think that in this pandemic, I think your experience so prepared you, Julie, for realizing that women, especially women, but and married couples or for your parents or what your spouse, your Life lover, partner, yes. mm -hmm. you, your partner, people need to spend a little time. It's not a real comfortable conversation. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I mean, what all of a sudden I said to Kenny, so it's about three days before he's going to the hospital. I said, where's the 
the real big money. You know I mean? <laughs> and, and then I said to him, and it's simple. It's things like, I don't, have, I don't know the code to my husband's phone, you know, and he doesn't know the code to mine. And I said, and did we ever get rid of that safe deposit box? And then because I'd had an insurance policy for a number of years, um, and I still do on me and different things, but we had to write it down. And it, I mean, we were laughing, but in reality, it's a very serious subject. But I was all of a sudden, I thought, I mean, it happens to people all the time. You go into the hospital, have something happen, and you die. Yes, it actually happened. And then you have all this grief, years back. Yeah. all this grief, and you don't even know how, yeah. you know, things like, and so he and I've set up so much of our banking where the house payment or everything is an automatic deduction. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I'm really grateful for that yeah. because, and I just think of women friends of mine. Um, it's just tough. It's a very it is, tough. It is. It's, it's a tough conversation that you have to have. have to equate money with health, but money in this country, money and health are intertwined and because, not in a good way. Because healthcare is a profitable enterprise in this company, That's country. Right. <laughs> company how ironic that i said company well but you know what country. it is it is with the company we're not doing very well at it but we're, yes know. yes i will say this julie i think that our people the singular thing that we know is that people should be wearing masks okay yes. we aren't going out either julie cindy came up one day to drop something off of my front door we stayed our feet apart I haven't seen Cindy. That's the hardest part. Oh, it, it really is. Cindy and my dear friend, Michael, the hardest part. I mean, we miss our friends that we go out for dinner with and stuff, but uh, it, it's difficult to say the least. It's been really difficult. But we have no choice. Yeah. I had a friend lose her dog and I dropped off cookies at her house and we talked Aww. to each other from like 14 feet apart. And I just lost a friend this week um, to pancreatic cancer. And <gasps> it broke my heart because on so many levels, for her husband, her whole family, but also that we can't gather together as friends and be there for each other. So I'm not sure what we're gonna end up doing. He said maybe he'll do a service in a year. We're not sure. I know we have to do something for her, but it's been so hard. And so I'm just like, just wear your damn mask. And I have a story to tell you because I did go to the post office during this time. I wore a mask and people were social distancing. And I just, I talked to everybody. I just happened to strike up a conversation with a woman, two people behind me in line. And she told me this story about her daughter who used to live in Japan. And she would go running and she had these really bad allergies that she didn't have in the US, but she had in Japan. Because you know, plants and trees are different. And her friends, her Japanese friends were like, just wear a mask, honey wear a mask, it'll help your allergies. And she couldn't believe how much of a difference. And she started getting used to it. She would run miles with a mask on it and she was fine. And then when she moved back to the US, she actually felt embarrassed, this is years ago, mowing her lawn, wearing a mask because she has allergies. And she told her mom that years ago that couldn't believe what a difference it makes to wear a mask for her allergies. And she said, I, and this woman told me, I don't understand why it's taking Americans and she's an American herself, why is it such a big deal? Because people in Southeast Asia get it. That's right. And it helps them. That's why they wear them. And so it just needs to be, I think, become part of the culture of our life. I had no idea because when I was a kid, my mom was like, put your seatbelt on, put your seatbelt on, put your seatbelt on. I had no idea that when they had seatbelt laws, when they started them, that people yes. protested them. So I know. Honey. It's a thing, right? Is it a, the American way to protest things that actually help you? I'm going to tell you, 
We always have mass because my husband has asthma. But when we had in our last house, our housekeeper and the, the cleaning crew that comes down, they all wear masks. They're wearing it because it's easier for them to breathe. Yes. You know. My darling, thank you so much. Sydney's giving me, taking the, the, <laughs> the cane to get us off the stage. Goodbye, my darling. Thank, thank you, you so for much everything. for having me again. Bye, Julie. Thank you, Miss Cindy.